2 Chronicles 29, verse number 1. Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. Oh, he's got some godly lineage there. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And when you hear those words in Scripture, you know good stuff's about to happen, according to all that his father David had done. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square. Well, Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear it, hearts to obey it, and humility to serve you. Anoint your servant today, because I need your help. And let Calvary Christian Center become everything you intended her to be, which is victorious, your own special people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, watch this. It goes on to say in verse 16, Then the priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it, and brought out all the debris that they found in the temple of the Lord to the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it out and carried it to the brook Kidron. And then verse 25, And he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with stringed instruments and with harps, according to the commandment of David of Gad, the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet, for thus was the commandment of the Lord by his prophets. The Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. Verse 30, Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord with the words of David, and of the Asaph the seer. So they sang praises with gladness and bowed their heads in worship. Then Hezekiah answered and said, Now that you have consecrated yourselves to the Lord, come near, bring sacrifices and thank offerings into the house of the Lord. So the assembly brought in sacrifices and thank offerings, and as many as were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. So Hezekiah 25-year-old, new king of Israel, wants a meeting with the people of God. This is like his first act and his first month of leadership. So he calls them together, month number one into his reign, at the temple in the east square. Hezekiah said, let's gather in the east square of the temple. We need to consecrate our hearts to the Lord. Calvary, let's meet in the east square and consecrate our lives to the Lord. Hezekiah is 25. He begins to reign as king in Israel. He's living in a culture that has rejected the word of God, ignored the God of their fathers, and they have abandoned the house of the Lord. And Hezekiah knew there's only one answer to this dilemma that we find ourselves and our nation in. The nation is divided. It's, it's no longer one people. They're divided north and south. And he is the king of Judah, northern regions. And, and Hezekiah knows we're in a mess here, and we've got to return to the Lord. So Judah needs to see this great awakening. And Israel is divided. Hezekiah is the king of the one part, Judah. And Hezekiah knew, if we don't have a great awakening spiritually, awakening of our souls and spirits, a posturing of our hearts back toward the Lord, there is no hope for our nation. A great awakening is the only answer, said this king. 
Now, there were problems they were facing in their culture, in their society, for two reasons. They had turned their backs on God, and they had turned their backs on the house of the Lord. And the two come together very quickly. Hezekiah knew if he could get his people to turn back to God and then return, consequently, to the house of the Lord, if he could get God's people to once again make God and his house the center of their lives, because the two are connected, love for God, love for his son's bride, the church. And here's how you begin to know you're drifting from God, when you no longer have a passion for the house of God. And I'm telling you, it's important to be connected to the house of the Lord. And here's why. This picture shows you why in the scripture. It's important to keep your family connected to the house of the Lord through good times, through bad times, up times, and down times, because the enemy likes nothing better than to disconnect you from the house of God. Because if he can disconnect you from the house of the Lord, he's isolated your life. So when Jacob was at Bethel, which means house of God, Jacob said, I have found the gate of heaven for my life in the house of God. The house of God is the place of his blessing. So families are in trouble today because in many cases they have abandoned the house of the Lord. They let anything, any little thing, and any reason to not be in the house of the Lord. And when there was a spiritual fire and hunger in the hearts of our early American forefathers, Sundays were set apart the whole day for the things of the Lord. You couldn't do business on the Lord's Day. The only business you were going to do was His business on the Lord's Day. And no one griped about it. It was a pleasure because their hearts were for the Lord. And what a change in atmosphere we've seen in our culture today. Listen to me. People begin to backslide when they lose their desire to be in the presence of the Lord and they get loose about their attendance at the house of God. It's very important. It's a reflection of what's going on in the heart and the posture of the heart. Now, here's how you remain postured in passion toward the Lord. You read his word. You meditate in his word. You chew it until you get everything out of it. And you pray and you stay connected with the body of Christ. When people begin to treat the house of the Lord and the body of Christ with a sense of non-appreciation, nonchalantly, take-it-or-leave-it attitude, it's a matter of time before they find themselves drifting toward trouble. The attitudes begin to change, their spiritual posture changes, and everything about who they are changes. Now, Hezekiah, this young king knew, if I can get my people back-centered on the things of God and his house. If we get worship restored here in this part of Israel, if we can get the instruments that David used to have in this great orchestra he has assembled many, 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 many years before and get sacrifice back instituted in our hearts toward God, we're going to see a great awakening. So Hezekiah knew they needed to get back to the God of David. Now deliver the word like the prophets did. Worship like David's worshipers did. Seek God like they used to seek him. Getting people back to God, back to his house. Hezekiah knew if we do that, we'll see the whole nation restored. So the temple of God was standing there in Jerusalem in stark darkness. The candles were out. No candles were lit anymore in the house of the Lord. There was no worship happening. No access to his presence. 
no light of his truth. Cobwebs filled the building. The house of God was in ruins and breaking down. It had not been in use in decades. And the first thing Hezekiah does in the first 30 days of his reign, read the story, he repaired the doors of the house of God. The first thing Hezekiah did was he said, I will be sure the doors are repaired on the house of the Lord. Calvary Christian Center, we must be sure we don't lock out the people who are supposed to have entrance into the house of God. We must be sure we welcome everybody of every background, of every race, of every economic standing and educational background. We want Calvary Christian Center to be a church where everyone feels a welcome and care. I don't want those, however, who don't serve God to be comfortable for the whole service. Because at some point, conviction needs to reach the heart of those who are away from the Lord. But I do want people to enjoy themselves. And I'm thrilled when we make guests welcome at Calvary Christian Center. But at some point, if we're truly led by the Holy Spirit, he'll start messing with you. And when I hear pastors say, anybody can sit in my church for an entire service and feel comfortable, that's an indication. The Holy Spirit is not being allowed to work in that environment. He's quenched by leadership. And the word is not being preached in its totality. You want to write this down somewhere? The word bothers people. It's a two-edged sword. It bothers people. It does. Why? Why does it bother me? Because what you're doing and how you're living and what you're thinking is not always in line with what God is doing and thinking and desirous of. And the word is the standard, and that's what we have to change to. Look at someone who looks bothered and say, you needed that point. <laughs> uh-huh. mm-hmm. Get the doors open. Church was designed to be a hospital. It's a place for the searching, for the bound, for the wounded, for those who need a lifestyle change, for the hurting, for the lost. We need a place where we can hear clearly from the Lord. So Hezekiah said, the doors need to be repaired, and the doors swing both ways. What does that mean? We don't just come in and get blessed. We're to go out and to be a blessing. We're not just to come in here and never share the blessings of the love of the Lord with those outside our doors. It's in and out. It's not a one-way door, but those who come into the doors are supposed to go back out of these doors. And we're supposed to come in and get filled up with the presence of the Lord and receive the word of the Lord. And when's the last time you actually verbally shared Christ with somebody outside in the other culture, so to speak? Hmm? When's the last time you actually verbally shared him? Second thing Hezekiah did, he called for the Levites and the priests. He makes an announcement and he says, listen, Everyone who wants to see a great awakening and everyone who wants to see a move of the Lord, everyone who wants to see a change in homes and families in our nation, everyone and anyone who's interested in something more than what's happened to us spiritually, you want to go into the presence of God, deeply once again know Him, meet me in the east square of the temple. 
So sanctify yourselves, sanctify the house of the Lord of your fathers, and carry out the rubbish, he said, from the holy place. So Hezekiah probably expected just a handful to respond, but when he, the king, enters into the east square of the temple the next day, a great multitude had gathered. And they gathered in the east square, and people had come from everywhere. And he's amazed. But he didn't tell them when he invited them there that their first assignment was to clean up the temple. He didn't tell them in advance, this is going to be a big work day because we've got stuff to do before the awakening comes. We've got work. We've got steps to take. He just told them, if you desire to see our nation as it once was, see a great awakening and a move of God, meet me in the East Square. Tell your neighbor, we need to go to the East Square. And after Hezekiah repaired the doors of the house of the Lord, he gathers his Levites and the priests. The next item on the agenda was, we're going to clean out the temple. We're going to clean it out. So they began to cleanse the temple because there was rubbish there and there was dirt and there was dust. The menorah was not lit. There was no oil in the lamp. The fire had gone out in the temple of God. And the word rubbish means defiled things were in the temple. Anything in the house of God that defiled it was to be removed. It must go. You are the temple of God and you must remove anything that is defiling his house. Hezekiah saw that everything was in disarray. He said, we must sweep the house out. We must clean stuff up. We must get the temple in order first. And the word says, they gathered up all the trash and the clutter, and they cleaned it out. And Calvary, if we truly want God to move in our lives, to change our community and touch this nation Our temples must be cleansed. Here's the counterpart in the New Testament. Listen, as we get into this, first he says, They gathered their brethren, sanctified themselves, went according to the commandment of the king at the words of the Lord, and did what? Cleanse the house of the Lord. Then the priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it, brought out all the debris they found in the temple. And they brought it to the court of the house of the Lord, and the Levites took it out and carried it to the brook Kidron. Cleanse gossip out. Cleanse sin out. That's where we are in the New Testament. Ugly, offended spirits must be cleansed out of us. We must cleanse ourselves of the filthiness of the flesh. And if you desire the Holy Spirit to fill your temple, clean the temple. Quit playing with sin. Quit tolerating sin in your life. Anything that you know that offends the Holy Spirit, anything in your spirit that's questionable, Anything in your heart that says, God may not be pleased with this, I challenge you, sweep it out. Even if other people are fine with it, if it's convicting you, there's something about cleansing the temple, it absolutely attracts the presence of the Holy Spirit. For her fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and have forsaken him have turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and turned their backs on him. Wow. And so I flip over to what Paul writes, and this is his, his same perspective. Don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple, for God's temple is holy, and you are that 
temple. Wow. Pretty strong stuff, isn't it? Sober. So Hezekiah cleanses the temple. And no one had vandalized the temple. It was not the result of people spraying graffiti on the walls of the temple. The damage was due to neglect. Do you know what you have to do to lose the presence of God? Nothing. We can neglect prayer, neglect the Word, neglect worship, neglect tithing and giving. That's all part of our worship. That's all part of our responsibility to the Lord. So when you begin to neglect those things, when the, then the temple gets filled up with other things. Other stuff moves into those places. The Word says they begin to gather the rubbish and the trash and the debris and the R-O-U-S, the rodents and the bats, which were defiling. And you leave your house abandoned for several years and, and, and no one's looking out after it. Guess what you're going to find when you come back to it? It's in disarray. It's leaking. There are inhabitants there that you would have never, ever had invited there or tolerated. The same thing happens in your temple. And I love what the Word says. It says, they swept out all the debris and all the rubbish and took it down to the river. And they said, let's take all of this junk, stuff that does not belong in God's temple. We're going to take it to the river and dump it in there and let the river wash it away. And the river will carry all of the stuff out of our lives. And the river will set us free from all this uncleanness. You've got to wash away your pain and wash away your disappointments and allow the river to flow into your life once again. It's cleansing when it comes in. And it will clean you and wash you and leave you pure. You need to allow the Holy Spirit to move through you unimpeded. Jesus said, this is what's going to happen when I cleanse you. You remember Jesus on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles in the city of Jerusalem at the temple? The last act that was done at the Feast of Tabernacles was the priests would fill up these huge barrels from the Pool of Siloam, and they would take them up to the top steps of the temple, and at the last act, they would pour out that water on the burnt offering and down the steps of the temple, depicting when Moses struck the rock and water came out and met the needs of the three million Jews in the desert. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stands up while this is going on, while the water's being poured, and he cries out and he says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and what? Drink. And he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. God can do more in five minutes when you jump into the river than you can do with self-help in years. When the anointing is present, if you will jump in, it will break down anything in your heart that is not like Jesus and wash it away. And you'll wonder, what was I so upset about? What has so disturbed my life? When your spirit gets right because you've gotten into the river. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had your mind made up about a certain situation? And then you get into a Holy Spirit-led service, and the river is flowing, and that river hits you, and suddenly all that unclean attitude and all that stuff that's contrary and all that junk is washed out. You're cleansed. And if you're facing an addiction, get in the river. If you've got trouble in your family, 
Get in the river. Another sermon will not help you. Another church service will not help you. But get into the flow of the river. There's something about the Holy Spirit that cleanses us. He'll heal you and set you free. Get into the river. This is amazing. You know, between services, I got a flash announcement. I already preached this message the first service and getting ready for the second. And here comes this message just released today, this morning at 8.09 a.m. Renowned evangelist minister Billy Graham said America is in need of a true spiritual awakening. If ever there was a time, he says, this country needed the intervention of God, it is now, Graham writes. We can and should pray for America as a whole, but remember that when God sets out to change a nation, he begins by changing people. It starts with individuals. Wow. He said, even though I'm turning 95 in November, my advanced age has slowed me down, but there are still many things I can do, and one of them is pray. Good for him. And he's right on the money. And God's saying that to us. There's a great awakening awaiting us, but we've got to do some things before that happens. And here's what you need to say. See here. This is what the Word says. It says, even though the temple had been neglected for decades, it only took them eight days to completely sanctify the temple. It took eight more days to completely finish its restoration. In other words, getting all those elements back in the places they needed to be. So they began to sanctify on the first day of the first month. And on the eighth day of the month, they came to the vestibule of the Lord. So they sanctified the house of the Lord in eight days. And on the 16th day of the first month, they finished. Eight days to sanctify the temple after it had been neglected for decades. From one Sunday to another Sunday, eight days. Calvary Christian Center, the Holy Spirit can take your life from this Sunday and by next Sunday, totally renovate your life, sanctified and restored. And I believe with all my heart, a great awakening is coming to America. I believe with all of my heart, Calvary Christian Center will be a flashpoint for the great awakening. Say eight days. That's one week. And in one week, the river of the Holy Spirit cleansed the temple to such a degree that by the time they returned the next week, listen, You couldn't recognize it. It was sanctified. Within two Sundays from the beginning, it was completely restored to the glory of Solomon's day. But yet the Holy Spirit still had not yet appeared. Now watch. Just two weeks before it was a mess. It was unclean. It was filthy. It was broken down, overrun with rodents and vermin. Within eight days it was sanctified. In eight more days it was totally restored. And the river had done such a cleansing in that temple, it's 100% like it was. I don't know what the enemy has filled your temple with, but I need to say to you clearly today, if you'll meet me in the eastern square, by the eastern gate, the Holy Spirit will send a river to cleanse you. And in one week, you'll look back and say, I don't even know who that person was. And then Hezekiah said, now that the work of cleansing has been done, we're going to restore worship. And the word says, they had not yet seen the great awakening. But Hezekiah said, gather the musical instruments and let's praise and worship God before his presence returns. 
And he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with stringed instruments and harps, according to the commandment of God. So the assembly worshiped, the singers sang, the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. They were offering sacrifice to the Lord. They were worshiping verbally, musically, instrumentally. Say this praise and worship before it happens. Praise and worship before it happens. It's easy to get into the routine of being negative and down. It's easy to see the glass half empty instead of half full. It's easy to focus that you don't have, you know, you've forgotten the facts of the Lord. And you start worrying about what you don't have. And you forget the fact that God has blessed you and that this is the day the Lord has made. You, you may look at somebody else and you're envious of what they've achieved and what you don't have in comparison. Listen, they can get in their car tonight and be gone. You could be living another 15 years. You need to praise and worship God before it ever happens. This is the day the Lord has made. I'm going to rejoice. The Holy Spirit whispered to me, there are too many weepy Christians. Weepy. Always moaning. Listen, there's a time to weep. I weep. Two hours yesterday while I was preparing my heart, and a lot of tears were shed in those two hours of worship. But you, you, you don't stay in those places. You move forward from them. You, I've been through stuff. I've lived through some nasty storms, but you don't stay there. You praise him before it begins to break. Have you actually praised him before, listen, before it happens? Hezekiah commanded the priests to worship. And sometimes you just need to crank it up, even if you don't feel like it. Well, I don't feel like it. Crank it up. Sometimes you have to move it forward. And he said, I'm not asking you to do this because you emotionally feel this. He said, I command you, praise the Lord. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the leaders commanded the Levites to sing praise to the Lord. And how did they respond? We don't feel like it. We're not going to do it. We're tired. No. So they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed their heads and worshipped. They heeded the command, and they went beyond their duty, and they praised the Lord with gladness. When the leaders began to worship, a great awakening happened because they began to lead the worship. And here's the key to all of it. It all started when they decided they would meet with the king in the eastern square. Before I tell you about that, I'm just going to say it one more time. Looking at the circumstances of our community, state, and nation, and the confusion and the madness going on around us in this culture, there's nothing any of us can do, either individually or collectively, to change that course. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. The hope for this country is the change of heart in the people that call themselves Americans. It will take a change of heart to change the course of this country. That doesn't mean we sit back and do nothing, nor does it mean we just sit and hold the fort, so to speak, and wait for the enemy to come crashing through the gates. We do everything we humanly can do, but that's not what's going to change the nation. It's going to take a great awakening among the people of the Lord first and then spreading out into the community 
a great awakening always happens as a result of prayer, fasting, waiting on God, entire communities are changed. When Finney preached his revivals and the great awakening of the East Coast that spread west, amazing stories have been birthed out of that great awakening. Do you know that in some of the cities he preached in up in New England, in New York, there were cities where all bars closed, every bar, every distributor of alcohol closed. Not because they protested, not because they went out with signs and yelled at everybody. No, there weren't any customers anymore. There were so many people whose lives were turned around in those cities, nobody wanted to go drinking anymore. They had a drink of the presence of the Lord. You talk about cleaning up a town, and clean, I mean totally cleaned up. Do you know in some of the factories in those cities that they had to shut them down for hours at a time because the Holy Spirit would visit them and it was dangerous to work because people were falling out and falling on their knees and praying and seeking the face of God? So the foreman would walk in and say, we're done for the day. It's not safe to work in here anymore because God showed up here in this place of business. And God revolutionized and totally changed the course of our history in America when we were teetering on a place of total collapse. And that's where we are again today. It's going to take a move of the Holy Spirit. So what's significant about the East Square? Why didn't he go, let's go to the West Square or the North or the South? Well, the West is where the sun sets. East Square is where you face the dawning and the sun rays of a new beginning. And he said, let's meet at the East Square. He said, let's meet there. Everybody who wants to see a move of God, everyone who is hungry for God, everyone who wants his spirit to return to us, not just the norm that we've gone through. We want more. Does anybody want more? Does anyone hungry for more of the Lord? Hezekiah said, let's meet at the East Square. From here to here, the East Square. How many of you are ready for the rain to fall on you of the Lord? Until you lose yourself in worship. And some people don't even know what I'm talking about this morning. You've never been in a service like that. But there's a place where you abandon what anybody else thinks and you worship because the flow of the joy of the Lord and His gladness just comes out of your heart. You're free and the river of the Holy Spirit starts cleansing you. In the cleansing, there goes your tobacco, there goes your anger attitude issues, there goes your unforgiveness, there goes your bitterness, and the river washes you. I say, let's meet at East Square. We're facing the dawning and the sunrise of a new beginning that God wants to break through here in the United States of America. That's our hope, folks, is a move of the Holy Spirit. Like Solomon, and we read, we read Solomon's prayer over and over, and we'll, we'll look at that again, of course, if my people. But Daniel was instructed to pray a prayer of repentance so that the Lord would bring healing and restore his people. And many times that prayer is overlooked. It's an amazing prayer. You remember our friend Jim's old song, D.L.? Let my heart be the temple of your spirit. Let my spirit feel the warmth of your embrace. Let me be a holy habitation where your spirit is pleased to dwell. God's word gives us a clear call on how to appeal to the Father to heal our land. And his word in this passage is not just a prayer that Daniel offered. It is a promise. 
Daniel was a man of God who knew how to keep his faith alive in very difficult situations. They were captive under a heathen Babylonian empire. There was great trouble in an uncertain future. And Daniel's prayer for the deliverance of his people is one of the best models of prayer for all of us. Because we are facing a world sinking into madness in these end days. And unless we have a turnaround, this whole ship is sinking. The Titanic is floundering as I speak. Daniel knew unless there's a change in the hearts of his people and that they turn to the Lord, any freedoms that they once enjoyed would be short-lived. And they were going to live out the rest of their days in oppression. And I'm telling you, it's going to happen to us if we don't see a turn. So he said, then I set my face toward the Lord God. And Daniel was determined to touch God with his prayer. So to set his face, coming out of the Hebrew means, I'm intent on a specific result. I'm going to pray until I get an answer. And he said in that prayer, we have sinned and committed iniquity. He didn't point fingers at the culture. He led his people to take ownership of their sin. And he said, this is a we prayer. And the people of God, we are taking responsibility. And then he said, Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name. And Daniel is saying, The word of God has been spoken to us, and we did not do what your word instructed us to do. We're guilty. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, which shows humility. And God has always responded and promised, I will respond when you humble yourself. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God. No excuses. He's saying we are disobedient. We have taken your word lightly. We have not obeyed it. And he has confirmed his words. And even in judgment that they were now receiving, he said, you've been faithful to your word. We are What we are experiencing, we have deserved. You're not punishing us undeservedly. We deserve this. And even there, you're keeping your word to us. All this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not made our prayer before the Lord our God. We have failed. All that happened to the Jews had not brought them to a place of prayer, nor had they turned from their sinful and unfaithful ways as they were losing their freedoms as they were losing ownership of their homes, as they were being overrun and taken captive, listen, they were still not turning to the Lord. Are we any different? Are we going to learn from the lessons that they failed to learn? Are we going to turn in time? And then Daniel appeals to God for intervention. And here's how he does that, verses 16 through 19. He said, I pray, let your anger and your fury be turned away. First, he asked the Lord to turn away his anger and his wrath from his people. In verse 17, cause your face to shine on your sanctuary. So second, Daniel asked that a new day of blessing would come to his temple. A brand spanking new opportunity day. Oh Lord, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations. We're empty. We're a desert, 
So third, Daniel appeals to the Lord to open his ear and his eye to the desolation of his people. And Daniel appeals to the mercy of God and acknowledges the lack of righteousness. He said, we have a lack of righteousness, verse 19. And then he says, oh Lord, hear. Oh Lord, forgive. Oh Lord, listen and act. So fourth, Daniel called on the Lord to forgive his people and to take action and return them to their land and restore them and their temple. We cannot have the healing of our land without humility, without repentance, without prayer. The majority of of many in churches today see no need yet for the visitation of the Lord. That's a very scary omen. But it's time for us to humble ourselves and ask God to forgive us of our failures and extend his great mercy to our land. And if we will, he will. If we will, he will. I was so excited when I got that flash memo from Dr. Graham's office today. And I said, thank you, Jesus. You're speaking to us across across all lines of leadership in our fellowships. And you're telling all of your leaders, you better call the people to repentance and humility and prayer. And so in looking at this passage, in fact, before you leave, I'm going to give you a copy of what I just shared with you from your posturing of your heart at the temple of Daniel's prayer for the nation of Israel. But I think we ought to stand today. We ought to lift our hands and symbolically lift them over toward the east and say, Lord, symbolically, I'm posturing myself on the outside also now on the inside and desirous of a new beginning, a fresh sunrise, a new day in your family, a fresh move of your spirit that washes us out and cleans us and the debris and the rubbish is taken away. And when the dawn comes after our worship, will come a visitation of the Holy Spirit that will change the course of our lives our community, our state, and our nation. We thank you, Master. We thank you. We lift our hands in repentance, and we receive what the Holy Spirit wants to pour into us. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, help us. Help us. Help us see the breaking of a brand new day. Help us, Master. We're believing you. Visit us as you visited them in Israel. Visit us as you visited the Europeans in that great awakening. The power of the Holy Spirit swept through nation after nation. Visit us as you visited the east coast of our country years ago in the moment of its failure and collapse and turned the history of our nation once again visit us again as we repent and call on your name. Wash us. Clean us. Heal us. We desire more than anything your help. We don't want to lose the freedom of worship. We don't want to lose the freedoms that we've enjoyed as a culture that you raised up. We want the freedom 
but we're going to pay the price for it. And that means losing ourselves to find you. Giving up those things that we know are displeasing to you in order for you to be first once again in our hearts. Restore the doors of the temple. Clean out all the rubbish in the house. Restore our worship and fill us with the power of the Holy Spirit. Renew us once again.